You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where we'll never drop an entire season at once. Sorry for those of you who want to binge us. Uh, you're going to have to not listen for a while and then try and catch up. Uh, I try and do that sometimes if I miss a week or two of the Adam and Drew show. I, I try and binge it while I'm at the gym, but I never I never catch up depending on how far behind I fall. So I don't suggest that with the midside. I suggest you stay up to date. I'm your host, Justin M. Lesneski, the hopeful bromantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show i'll be bringing in my co-host this is not a solo episode joining me this trip from dale's lawn identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege william green hello hello yeah just freshly back uh showered and just in time for the show i had kickball this morning we lost but uh had a good time uh scored some runs so that's always good. And then uh, after this, I'm going to go join them at Silver Fox for uh, a few post-game uh, socialization slash drinking slash eating. There's a bar called Silver Fox? Yeah, a gay bar called Silver Fox. Oh, it's I'll a gay bar that. called Silver Fox. Yeah. Is that where you go to meet old guys? I would presume, but I guess since I'm going, that's true. But uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's the sponsor for the, the kickball league. The the gay bar Silver Fox is the sponsor for the Gay Kickball League. Yep. That is one of the most California things I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> All right. Oh, so what did I what did I miss about. this week? That's what I want to know. Let's talk about it. What did you miss in, in the in the world? Yeah. Well Yeah, well we've got a lot to talk about with that, so let's do it in Life on the Midside. As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. We, succe- we accept any and all support, including affirmations. That's the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash Locals. So the first, first thing I want to talk to you about, William, and I don't know if you missed it or what you missed with this week. It'll be interesting to see what you've heard of, what you haven't. Uh, the second story I... I held on to for you because I think it's important to talk to you about it because it deals with music and going to festivals and concerts. But the first story is something we've talked about before. It's the continuing ongoing farce of John Gruden and him stepping down from being coach of the Las Vegas Raiders in the, in the NFL, except this farce has a positive twist to it. So John Gruden is fighting back. John Gruden is fighting back. Here's a quote from uh, his attorney, Adam Hosmer Henner. He's saying the complainant alleges that the defendants selectively leaked Gruden's private correspondence to the Wall Street Journal and New York Times in order to harm Gruden's reputation and force him out of his job. 
William, is this a legal definition of cancel culture? Because to me, it kind of reads like that, and it kind of seems like Gruden is the first person to actually fight back against cancel culture. What do you think? Yeah, it's interesting. If if this stuff was supposed to be supposedly private uh, and then selectively leaked, I'm not sure what kind of liability they would have because kind of in the it sort of depends because I, I'm not a lawyer, but you know the the owner of the computers owned the data on the computers, and that generally includes businesses as well. That being said, uh, if this is just you know some legal maneuvering where only one person's stuff was leaked, then and only partially leaked, then yeah, I think they would they at least have some sort of complaint. Um, it, it's it's kind of crazy. Like we know this happens I mean, this happens a lot in these sort of cancel culture investigations. I mean, that's the whole purpose of getting, um, getting a, uh, uh, people in front of a outside law firm and, uh, not allowing them to face their accused or even know what they're being accused of and then be interviewed with things. I mean, that's how the sort of like investigative system is set up inside of a lot of these companies. And I wouldn't be surprised if the NFL is not the same way. It sounds like that's what this was. And they were trying to set something up, but, then they're like, oh, we're not going to have a written report. We're not going to do anything uh, written. And then and then this gets leaked. So it, it is really interesting. Well, I think to build on what you said, William, that the NFL has something that a lot of these other companies don't have. They they certainly have these tribunals, I would describe what you were describing. And that's that's horrifying enough on its own when you don't know, like, what are, what are you being accused of and how do I present a case against myself? So you're going to interview me and I have no idea what I'm, how you're going to use what I'm saying. So you have no way to prep that way. But I think the NFL has an added weapon and that's the court of public opinion where when you leak the stuff, right. And you even saw it later in the article, they said the NFL accused John Gruden of using a racist trope to describe someone, a racist trope. Right, we're talking about tropes now. So that you can do that publicly, I, I think, is the greatest example of, of cancel culture. The greatest example of cancel culture. And I don't know the legality of all this, but to me, that's extra scary that the NFL can do that is try him in the port of public opinion and then use that as an excuse to fire him or worse, peer pressure him into stepping down from his job. That That is terrifying as a society. Yeah. So I think it's great that John Gruden's doing this and he's saying, I'm not going to take this. Yeah. I, I don't know if anything can come of it. I mean, it's, uh, I, in, in the way the culture is polarized, I don't think there's much that it, this just seems like a bad move by the NFL all the way around. And, but I don't know how this resolves in any way. Right. Do you release the rest of these emails, uh, the supposedly not written down report? I think I the know. way to resolve this is you just pay him off. And I think that's what he's looking for. And I, I don't know how principled John Gruden is, but regardless if he is principled or not, him fighting this battle and getting paid for this is a wonderful precedent to set because that's what you need to create is some sort of repercussion. You just can't yeah. have these companies and these organizations cancel people. And when we say cancel, we're talking about here, I, I love the definition, selectively leaked Gruden's private correspondence in order to harm his reputation and force him out of his job. 
That is the definition of cancel culture to me. It's where they selectively leak things. They drop context. They only do it for certain people. And they're trying to create a social situation, a cultural situation where they have to leave or face negative backlash. And they do that because there's no harm for doing it. Right. We you know, see all, this started all, these with, are the same people that lecture you for days on implicit bias, but never, never a confirmation bias. Right. Keep right. torturing the witness uh, or keep torturing the data until you get the result you want. Well, and we're not going to talk about the case, but you can make an easy connection between what you're saying and the whole Rittenhouse trial and all the, the conversation around that. But that's exactly the point is somebody is fighting back and whether he's doing it just because he wants more money, which, hey, you know, I don't know what his severance was and I don't know what his earnings in his contract would have been if he stayed on, but he certainly has a right to try and fight for that. But even if he's just doing it for the money, this sets a precedent that there will be repercussions for canceling people for doing these things. You can't just manipulate the situation. So it's like, Oh, we're going to make him look bad. So he quits. So he's gone. I can't wait to, right, the, uh, for you to selectively leak all of our personal correspondence to get me canceled from the show. Well, and that's, I think we've talked about that before, William, is that you can comb through anything and find anything to cancel anyone. And that's oh, yeah. exactly the point. I, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure someone could comb through all of our episodes and take all of the things we say out of context. And that's why we have our disclaimer now, right? Protect ourselves. Well, the disclaimer protects me because I'm saying it. If you just want to say ditto <laughs> after the disclaimer, you can. But I, I would like to say to anyone listening to this show to cancel me, that only covers me. I am using the word I, not the word we. So everyone else is on their own out there. But yes, that oh, no. is why I have it. And look, I'll even say it. It's a facetious disclaimer, but it's a disclaimer. If anyone ever asks me, it's both a joke and serious at the same time because you have no way of arguing legally even with what I'm saying right now, if that disclaimer is serious or not. If I need to be serious, it's serious. If I don't need to be serious, it isn't serious. Right? Yeah. If they're going to try to cancel me, don't take anything on this show seriously. I'm denouncing everything on it. This is just me talking shit for an hour. But, oh, hey, if no one ever cancels me, let's take this shit seriously. This is an honest conversation. And, you know, that's kind of the entire, entire point of all this because we need a forum we need a forum to talk about things, especially the Astro World thing, William. I mean, look at look at the way the conversation is controlled online by people. Yeah. Because of cancel culture. I mean, I made like an intimation about it last week. I think maybe my my opening quip was about this, but Astro World was basically a giant festival where people got caught in the crowd and people died because of that. And now there's all conversations about who's at fault and everything. And I screenshotted a, a tweet, which was reposted on Instagram. It showed up in my explore page. And just it was insane what this person said. It said people are really about to bring back satanic panic, calling the astral tragedy a demonic ritual instead of what it really is. So what they're referring to is there was like a projection above the stage and someone screenshotted that and they're trying to say it's a demon when really it's just a fucking video image you morons but they followed up with what really is the problem a prime example of rich people wanting to get richer by cutting corners on safety and security protocols with no regard for who they endanger 
Here's the th- thing, William, and I really want to hear your perspective on this. Because when I heard what happened, I certainly thought it was a tragedy. But I thought it was a tragedy where blame went all around. Perhaps the people who were working there could have done more. Perhaps there could have been better safety measures. I am not an investigator. I don't know what exactly happened in regards to those things at that festival. But I do know at every concert I've ever been to and every warp tour I've ever been to, you don't want to be in the mosh pit. And especially in warp tour, you don't want to be at the very front of the crowd or in the middle of a giant crowd when one of the main acts is playing. Yeah. I remember one time when I was younger, I was right at the guardrail. I think it was for like Good Charlotte or something. It was when I was really young. And there was this tiny girl who I had to like put in front of me between me and the guardrail because otherwise she was about to be crushed. And then eventually I had to reach her, uh, lift her out and give her to security because she was about to be crushed because she couldn't handle it. So yeah. I think with same, same situation with me in college at um, uh, St. Andrews Hall. Uh, I had to lift uh, my friend Stacy. I had to lift her up over the rail and, you know, have the uh, security guards like, you know, because that was sort of their area. Right. And they could put her back and get her back into the back of the crowd because she was getting crushed. Right. They bring them to the side and then they walk to the back of the crowd, which is honestly, as I got older, where I would more be. I would stand near the back of the crowd. I mean, I, I don't know if I've said this before on the show, but I remember one time at Chain Reaction Anaheim, which is a venue that doesn't hold very many people. I was still in the back, and I, I ended up in the back next to the lead singer of State Champs' mother. I mean, that that's how far in the back I was, right? Again, not a big venue, but still, like, that's how I started doing it. And I started doing it, William, because it is not safe or enjoyable to be in that crowd. And there is, honestly, I don't know what they could do unless they drastically change how festivals and concerts are run, I do not know what could be done to fix the situation. And that's where the self-responsibility comes in. Because the crowd can be nicely spaced, but the second the band starts playing, or in this case the artist, everyone runs forward and, and, and smushes in there tighter. Yeah. So I think what makes this one more interesting is, you know, I can remember songs being stopped because the crowd was getting too out of control. This happened definitely at St. Andrew's Hall. It happened at, uh, uh, what was it called? The Blind Pig in Ann Arbor. That's a very small venue. I've had bands stop before because things were getting too crazy. Well, and one and, of the things I love about Newfound Glory is they say, like, if you're going to mosh, be responsible, things like that. Like, they, yeah. Newfound Glory And I think sets the opposite the stage. Is, was happening with this band. Right. I think that's why people are making a big deal of it. Well, yeah. They and again, like, yeah, there's we're certainly take heads negligence. Off and shit. Yeah. Right, there's certainly negligence on Travis Scott's part about not caring. And there, 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 and there is certainly an element of, you know, having complete indifference to other people here. But here's where I think it goes too far. Taking that indifference and using it as an excuse to not have responsibility for yourself, or in other words... Oh, dude, the lawsuits were filed in what? Less than 24 hours? Yes. Body's not even cold yet? Yes. Because... You think you go to these places and you take your the responsibility for yourself is gone. I mean, another example is Disney World has to have these disclaimers. Oh, if you come here, an inherent risk is catching COVID-19. If that disclaimer was honest, 
It would say an inherent risk is catching any possible communicable disease while you're here. Because that's an inherent risk of any time you're in a public space and in, in that's an inherent risk of reality. But for some reason, you could catch the gay this- at Disney. Well, is the gay a communicable disease? I wasn't told that. I was told you were born with it. I was told it was a genetic disease. Am I, was I told wrong? I think you were told wrong, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I have to reassess my life now, and I'm going to have to start wearing a mask again. Uh, so, yeah, we, we live in this time where, oh, well, I bought a ticket to your concert. My safety is now completely your responsibility. I am no longer responsible for myself. And if you you if you don't take my complete safety into account, then it's capitalism's fault because all you well, want to do is make money off of me. It's the <laughs> pretty much, courage. pretty much right. The idea that oh it's it's being done intentionally. Self responsibility matters, and I, I I feel like the way people are talking about this, they're not talking about self responsibility at all. What do you think? Yeah, I, 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 this is this is uh, a continuation of the forever victimhood narrative as well, right? Like these people yes. were victims, and like the actual people that got trampled certainly are victims uh, in the sense that they didn't go there to be trampled, right? And that's what like it looks like. There's a plenty of video evidence to see what's going on, and but there is inherent risk, like at a concert. You or anything with tons of people like this. This could happen. Like you've seen panics at like sports uh, games as well, right? Where people have gotten injured. Well, I mean, here's a perfect example, right? Leaving a game, leaving a game, a, a stadium with sixty thousand people. People either leave early, or sometimes I like to wait. Or at school, I don't talk a lot about school, but I'll talk about this one. When there's a, a fire drill, my class wants to get in there. They're like, well, why don't we go and start walking back to class? I go, look at that giant crowd. You want to get in that giant crowd right now? Why don't we just wait for the crowd to go back in and then go in? But I I don't understand. Human beings nowadays have this idea of like, oh, this is what we're supposed to do. So we're going to do it. They don't think about like, oh, in this context, what should I do? And again, that doesn't mean these people should have died and more shouldn't have been done to help them. But you have to look at the choices you're making every day and seeing what little choices you're making that put you in danger. Mm-hmm. Speaking of little choices and how it changes things and affecting things and blaming capitalism, a big topic this week is inflation. And uh, I had a little personal story that I want to use as sort of a segue here and lead into uh, an article. I don't remember. Did you share the article, William, or did one of the, the midsiders <laughs> share it in the Discord? I think one of the midsiders uh, shared it. Well, it's an excellent article because it builds off of this it's capitalism's fault narrative and it builds off of this victimhood narrative and it builds off of this twisting of reality. But the the experience I had shows how much people let themselves be warped by the media and just by general ideas. So if you remember in the pandemic, uh, everyone bought toilet paper and everyone was like, why is everyone buying toilet paper? It was fucking insane. Right. And we're like, oh, well, that'll never happen again. So I like to go to Sam's Club like once a meet to stock up once a, a meet once a week <laughs> or once a month to to stock up on like the meat I'm going to eat for the month. Right. Steak, chicken, kielbasa. Right. And then I freeze it. And that's what I pretty much eat for lunch and dinner. Well, I went over to the, the refrigerator aisle to get kielbasa 
And the kielbasa is naturally right next to the hot dogs. Well, I had seen that day because I don't like pay attention to social media all that much. Stuff comes across my screen every once in a while, my feed every once in a while, but I'm not in there all that much. But I had got a notification about how, you know, oh, steak had gone up in price, but now other meats like hot dogs, they're going to go up in price too. I had seen that story. Well, there were like five packs of hot dogs left. William, you want to guess how much kielbasa was left? How much? Most of it. Most of it. <laughs> Think about how stupid you have to be. And I, I'm going to be this harsh, and I'm going to I'm going to be that I- explicit. Think about how stupid you have to be to be like, oh, kielba- uh, hot dogs are going to go up in price, but kielbasa isn't. It's yeah. pretty much the same thing. It just has different ingredients. It has better ingredients, but because you don't know what it is, you don't buy it because the media says hot dogs are going to go up in price. I can't live but- without my hot dogs. And yeah, and how many of these people are eating hot dogs beforehand is the thing. Oh, but now <laughs> I'm not going to I'm not going to get my hot dogs, so I have to buy them to make sure I get mine. And then people will start to complain and say narcissism and selfishness are the problem here, as if yeah. they're the same thing. Oh, these people are being selfish. They don't think if I panic by all of this it affects everyone else. Well, That's I'll, not the I'll point. tell you what. I have a freezer with hot dogs already stocked from like months ago cuz I too buy a bunch of meat and freeze it. So Right. Uh, if anyone needs meat during the uh, coming inflation, uh, come to Dale's Lawn. We'll have a cookout. Well, I mean, that, that's the greater, the greater problem that's happening right now is we are seeing a drastic change in our style of life as a result of what happened with the pandemic. This is oh, still yeah. the pandemic. This is those checks that were given out. The stimulus checks that were given out are still affecting us. And the worst part is there are people out there trying to convince us that this is better for us. That this yeah. is better for us. I think it's even, it's even more than that, uh, um, Justin, because it's not just the checks. There's still something like 70 or 80% of that money that was authorized to be spent has not even hit the economy yet, right? It's still in the bureaucracy red tape, right? That money is still, that that coming monetary inflation is, is that wave hasn't even started to crest yet. Yeah, part of this is we don't have enough people working, so there's not enough to, uh, supply for the demand. So that drives prices up. That's, yeah. that's a large part of what it is. Yeah. Well, and the yeah. solution, uh, this is the problem. You have the, the Keynesians said, well, the, you know, the lack of spending is the problem, so we'll pump all this money in. And then the monetarists come in after the hangover starts and says, you know, well, you know, this uh, extra money printing uh, is causing inflation, so let's print more money again. So in other words, you're... you're you're hungover, so drink more alcohol. And this is this is not going to end well. There's going to be calls for printing more money because that's the only thing they it's the only uh, they have a hammer and they're going to swing at at things with it uh, until the monetary system is broken. So, uh, so yeah, that's that's kind of what's going to happen. Well, and the worst case is the worst part is William. They convince us that this is the right thing to do, not even based on any sort of theory like you're saying this article inflation is good for you is all based upon this you know capitalism sucks argument of the rich hate you and we need to stick it to the rich and it does this by this twisted logic and before we get to their logic i just want to say like money is a symbol for the value you have created It is a symbol for, hey, I did this work, I created this value, now I have this value to trade with you. We use it so we don't have to say, hey, I have two donkeys, you have two chickens, let's trade. 
Or yep. to be more explicit about it, or, or a better metaphor, I have two donkeys, you have a house, here's two donkeys for your house. Because and those let's aren't be clear easily... about what inflation is. Inflation is stealing your time. Right. That's exactly what inflation is. Inflation is stealing your time. You've saved away well, your time into these dollars, and inflation is stealing it. It's just outright blatant theft I, I would and say I would, of, of time. It's destruction I would say it a little bit time. differently. I, I would say it a little differently because I would say even framing it as time is accepting the Marxist framing that the only value of your labor is time. No, it's okay. stealing your productivity. Yeah. You said, hey, I'm going to spend my, idea, my, my days producing value and you're going to give me money for it. So now you're saying your productivity is worth less. It's worth less. So, oh, your $5 is now worth $6. Think about that. You were paid $5 to be productive. And you said, hey, your productivity is worth $5. Oh, no, sorry. I said it backwards. Now it's only worth $4. So now you have to be more productive, which we unfortunately measure in time nowadays. You have to be more productive in order to get back to that original value, which now is worth 4 when it originally was worth 5 Yeah, And, and it, it, has, it has a nefarious effect where... As inflation continues to rise, which it will rise, we're, we're basically in the cycle, the monetary cycle of the 70s again. Thank you, uh, 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 the money printers during the Hoovid era. Uh, what's going to happen is when you look at, if you're being a rational person and you're looking, do I hold in onto dollars, i.e. do I save or do I spend them now? The answer under inflation is spend them, Right. Because the money is that that stuff is becoming worth less as time goes on, and so instead of putting a time preference on future things and things that that will make you money and invest investments and those sort of things, you have to value grabbing what you can now because you don't know if that's going to be worth enough tomorrow, right? Well, that's a hundred percent of what you just said, William. Is why I was like, it's important to buy a house now rather than later. People keep saying, oh, it's going to become a friendlier market. With the way inflation is, I do not believe that at all. I believe these housing prices are going to go up, and the money I have is going to stay the same, right? Yeah. I'm not going to magically make well, the do- more money. Well, the dollar amount is going to stay the same, but their nominal, what they'll be able to get you is going to go down. Right. And that's why these arguments are insane, right? We just we just broke down why it's your productivity that creates the value. The value is concretized in money. Now, we just broke that down. And this article creates an argument that that's good for you. And these are the things it says. First, inflation lessens the real value of debt. In 2020, American households had around $14.5 trillion in debt from their mortgages, credit cards, student loans, and other sources. Inflation of 6.2% means that the real value of that $14.5 trillion is now just $13.65 trillion in last year's dollars. So in How other words, short-sighted is that? Yeah. In other words, we've destroyed how much value in malinvestment? Because the other side Almost of that a trillion coin, dollars. Yeah. The other side of that coin means that if there was no inflation, people would not have taken out that debt and would not have consumed and would have maybe done other productive things or even just saved it. So that means we've destroyed a trillion dollars worth of people's productivity. That's what that really means. You have to yes. look at both sides of that, that coin. Yes. In other words, inflation over the past year has effectively transferred $850 billion of wealth from creditors to debtors. 
That's a lot of money. This is the premise they're working off of, William. The idea that there's a fixed pie that either goes from creditors to debtors. No, there is no fixed pie. It's as you said, that one trillion was just destroyed. Nobody gets that money anymore. So the creditors are devalued, which means what, William? The creditors now have less money to lend to other people. And what if you need money in the future and they can't, they can't lend it to you anymore because they have less money? That is how it's short-sighted. It's exactly what you just said. There's no money being transferred here. There's no value being transferred here. There's just productivity being destroyed, which means they have less value to lend to you. Do you disagree? No, I think that's actually 100% accurate. I think I would add one more layer of subtlety. It comes back to that time preference. In under inflation, you you prefer to consume now and under a, like, if we actually had hard money like gold or Bitcoin or something, then your time preference is for the future. Meaning like, why spend this Bitcoin or this gold today when I know it's going to get me more goods tomorrow, so I'll only consume what I actually need today. Right. Knowing that I can, right. you know, let it set and and buy more, uh, buy a better house in five years. Right. And house prices will be the same or cheap. Well, exactly. My I dollars will go further. Correct. I could save money as I have been doing. And as you just said, get a better house. But seeing the way the house prices are ri- rising and how quickly they're rising, I know that I'm not going to be able to get a better house than I would right now. So if I wait, the money I have now would get me half as much later because that trillion dollars has been destroyed. And then they continue this argument. Second, inflation generally accompanies economic booms. Booms. When the unemployment rate is low and workers have the market power to demand higher pay. That is what's happening now. As prices increased 6.2% over the past year, wages for regular people went up 5.8%. In other words, inflation barely touched their purchasing power and with almost 300 labor strikes in the u.s so far this year workers are leveraging their power to demand better compensation at historic risks so while inflation can be a significant problem for workers if they don't get it back in higher paychecks that seems unlikely today i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna say something else william i'm gonna give a different theory perhaps the unemployment rate is low during inflation because more people need to work for longer hours in order to make up the difference of the productivity destroyed. Because if you destroy productivity, the only way to fix the situation is to be more productive to recreate it. Or in other words, you destroy any object in order to get that object back, you have to rebuild it. So perhaps the unemployment rate drops because more people need to work in order to get that productivity back. Yeah. And let's be clear, the wealth re- that gets redistributed through inflation does not go to the poor or the middle class. So that 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 money, that money that's not only inflated, that 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 gets printed, that goes to the government class, right? That goes to your Boeing's and your Lockheed Martins and your welfare uh, uh, distribution and IRS uh, employees and and things like that, right? Like it doesn't go to it doesn't go to productive ends is what I'm trying to say. It doesn't go to like building bridges, right? Like the, you know, the, the, the actual amount of the value of those bridges, it, that's not where it goes, right? If we had a billion dollars worth of new bridges versus the government doing what it does to build a bridge, right? All the things, all the environmental studies, all the, you know, 
machinations. It takes 15 years, blah, 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 blah. That, that all, that, that's all that, that inflation is going into is these non-productive ends. Well, well, let's take what, what, what you're saying. And I agree with you and let's take their premise and, and, and combine the two. So their premise is they're rich people who have way too much money and they want to just hoard money because that's what they want to do. They just want to hoard money. Okay, well, say you have any object you want to hoard. Say you want to hoard oranges, right? And you get as many oranges as you can. And then somebody said, oh, we just increased the orange supply by 25%. And you go, well, shit, I had 75% of the world's oranges. Are you going to just sit there and go, oh, man, I'm just going to keep the number of oranges I have? Or are you going to make it so you get even more oranges now? Mm. Yeah. All these people... I think you see that they're going to take not even just, yeah, not even the rich, but the middle class see this as well. People in the the middle class, not to get all classes and Marxists on you, but across income levels, we've seen the highest level of stock ownership uh, uh, that we've ever seen. And part of that is people knowing, not explicitly, but sort of intuitively that they, they can't own, they need to own something, right? Because under, under this kind of inflation, the dollars aren't going to, be anything they're not going to be worth anything and so that's why the i think that that's why it makes sense even though the economy is not in a good position why stocks have been going up the last uh, since the pandemic started because people kind of intuitively got that hey this money sitting in my bank account you know normally you would say oh covid this crazy world where you know we're entering a bunch of uncertainty hold on to cash but everyone kind of did what kind of makes sense is by you know buying stock, buying Bitcoin, buying whatever, right? Like getting it, buying a house, right? These, all these things make sense. Um, not, I'm not saying they make long-term rational sense. I'm just saying they make that, that, that sort of economic sense. They make, they, they, they have, economics here has an explanatory power for that. Like why people are doing, doing these things. And I think as the, as this inflation continues, you probably will see more people doing those things, you know, buying houses, house prices will stay high for a little while. I think stocks will probably stay high for a little while um, until the until the monetary until either the money printer starts again or uh, the deflationary you know hangover starts again. Yeah, we'll see. Well, I, I did exactly what you said, William. I saw how low Disney stock dropped in that first March. And I was like, well, I could let this money sit in my bank account and not get any interest or anything. Or I could bet on the fact that Disney is going to become more productive again at the end of the pandemic because it's had its productivity artificially throttled by these government regulations. And I said, I'll do that and it'll make it so I can buy a house earlier. And that's what I did. And I'm going to take that money out. I'm going to use it as part of my down payment for my house. I think a lot of people did that because why buy a house now? Well, if I buy a house for, let's say, hypothetically, I buy a house for 200000 and in inf- the, 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 do- the value of the dollar inflates and the house is worth 400000 I haven't lost any value at that point. Yeah. I still have the house. The, now, I'm not saying any real value was created if it's inflation, but I haven't lost any value because it's in there. Whereas if I keep it in a bank account, it, the dollar stays a dollar. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. And uh, not to get all business ownery on you, but we made, uh, you know, uh, before the pandemic started, we we had all these, you know, we ran all the, did all our research, figured out how much it would cost for store two. Well, guess what? It's way more. Inflation is hitting the construction industry very hard. And there's not a lot of construction going on. Yeah. 
right? Like this is this is absurd how much more we're having to think about paying for things. Yeah. And uh that's not I, there's not a lot of construction going on. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, this this article was ridiculous because it's trying to convince you reality is something other than it is. And I think the next story that I had a friend sent to me uh, is even crazier because it's trying to do that even more. So so the headline here is and this is a headline that went around a bunch of places. And when we're talking about farce, if everyone remembers Daniel, one of his favorite things was environmentalism as the ultimate example of farce. This is this is farce at its finest, William. And this is an example of we will never reach peak farce. Right here is something to witness. Canadian woman becomes first person diagnosed as suffering from climate change. Now, let's talk about what she's actually having. She's having breathing issues. Okay, that is what she is suffering from. In reality, she is suffering from breathing issues. But the article says she was diagnosed as suffering from climate change after doctors said heat waves and poor air quality brought on acute breathing problems and an emergency room doctor in British Columbia. Cause this is a Canadian woman said, if we're not looking at the underlying cause and we're just treating the symptoms, we're just going to keep falling further and further behind. Look, William, I have sympathy and I appreciate saying, Oh, X led to Y, but this is a prime example of, externalization to the point of not accepting reality. This goes back to conversations about implicit bias because it goes back to conversations about what I said are interpersonal externalities. It's the idea of indirect things that lead to negative things are the responsibility of other people. And this is a perfect example. Oh, we're creating climate change, which leads to heat waves and poor air quality, which brought on her acute climate, her acute breathing problems. So essentially, we're killing this little old Canadian woman. And that's the problem when you say this is, I'm sorry, this is this is when people say people like me are harsh and cold and sociopathic. But I'm not at all. You need to understand that reality is going to reality. Right. The virus is going to virus. We've said this before. Reality is going to reality. Yeah. You're when you get old, <clears throat> things are going to happen. And not even when you get old, things are going to happen that are going to cause things to happen in your life. We can never get rid of causality. That's essentially what they're diagnosing her with here. They're not diagnosing her with climate change. They're diagnosing her with causality. Now, does that mean we shouldn't try to minimize negative causes? Well, no, that doesn't mean that you don't want to hang out in a room with mold, right? If there's mold, you don't want to hang out with asbestos, but there's a big difference between controlled substances like that and saying the environment in general kills us. Hey, William, guess what? The environment kills all of us, doesn't it? I mean, can I say it's hostile, right? Well, I'm going to say this, William, I'm suffering from life. (laughs) <laughs> it brings on the problem of death. Isn't that what this this logic here ultimately results in? Yeah. And talk about context dropping. I mean, climate-related deaths are at an all-time low. Uh, I feel like I'm channeling uh, Alex Epstein here. Uh, heat-related death is actually, like, uh, at an all-time low. Um, the best way to deal with heat-related deaths, uh, the areas that deal with it 
best are the ones that have cheap, uh, reliable electricity. I wonder what the electricity cost is up in uh, up in uh, British Columbia, wherever they are, Vancouver, wherever they are. Um, and also, like, man, did you see all the health issues this person has? I mean, maybe you. I mean, I have some sympathy. Maybe maybe they moved up there to get better air quality and everything else. So, you know, maybe maybe that makes sense. But uh, I don't know. Like it. I feel I feel like you're blaming the wrong person if you're talking about the cause of heat related deaths or cold related deaths or any sort of climate related deaths. It's always lack of energy, like not having cheap reliable energy. Uh, energy is how we is how we deal with the climate, right? Having an I, air condition, having a heater, having air filters, right? I I don't disagree with you at all. I think you're right in the pragmatic sense. I think you're right. The pragmatics, and I think that's what's wonderful about the way Alex Epstein counters these arguments is he does the argument so pragmatically and it makes people go, oh, that makes sense. But I'm saying that this is so farcical that I don't even think the pragmatic approach is needed. You're, you're I, looking for yeah. this indirect cause. Well, yeah. The direct look cause at, is she's old. Yeah. 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 I, I think the direct cause is the Holy Spirit. I mean, invi- uh, climate change. <laughs> It's the Holy Spirit, I mean climate change, has has moved in and the devil uh, uh, did this to her. I mean, that's what this sounds like, right? This is a religious justification. Yes. It's completely religious. And if my doctor said that to me, I'd be like, well, can you actually tell me what it is? Oh, so you're saying it's the heat that did it. Okay, so you're saying I need to make sure, as you're saying, William... This is where you're right about the energy. Oh, it's the heat that did it? Okay, so I need to make sure I always have air conditioning running in my apartment. Oh, now we have a solution for it. Oh, but the real solution is to say climate change is a problem, so everybody else needs to stop uh, sending methane into the air or something. It's, it's, it's completely ridiculous. I agree. It is farcical. Okay, I was looking, I was clicking around, sorry for the for the space, because I'm not even going to edit that out, that's how I'm going to do that. Yeah, I had another article here that I forgot to click on, but we're not going to talk about it, it was combining gender identity with this, where they even take it a step further, and they're like, it hurts women more, but that's the topic for another day. Now, let's talk about some art in The Hopeful Bromantic with JML. As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us during the week, you can do so by joining our Discord channel. You can find the link for that at themidside.com or themidside.com slash podcast. Click on any episode link. And within that episode post, there is a link to join our Discord. We look forward to talking to you during the week. For this week's review, William, I would like to do the second Netflix movie in a row. Netflix has been making some interesting movies recently. Uh, Don't worry, I'm going back to the theaters next week. I'm going to see two movies. I'm going to see Ghostbusters Afterlife and King Richard, the movie about 
Venus and Serena Williams' father, starring Will Smith. So I'll probably do two reviews next week. But this what? week I want to... And you're going to watch Arcane. <laughs> I don't know when I'm going to have time to watch Arcane, okay? I really want to see Ghostbusters. It's a high priority. Christine wants to see the Will Smith movie. I love Will Smith, so that's something I'm going to do. But I will find time at some point to watch Arcane, probably over Thanksgiving break. Probably over awesome. Thanksgiving break. Okay. So this week, though, I want to talk about Red Notice. Red Notice is the action comedy movie starring Dwayne Johnson, Ryan Reynolds, and Gal Gadot. Now, just hearing that, you can get what the selling point is for this movie. It is, uh, there's not a lot of depth to it. There's not a lot of depth to it. It's about heists in the art world. So Ryan Reynolds is a thief. He is known for stealing art. Uh, Dwayne Johnson teams up with him and he teams up with him in order to clear his own name and capture someone called the Bishop. The Bishop is played by Gal Gadot and Gal Gadot is the number one art thief. So they're all competing against each other, the whole movie to see who can steal Cleopatra's egg. Uh, there are Nazis involved with it. There are lots of pop culture references. There are meta comments from Ryan Reynolds character. Uh, there's some funny stuff in here. Look, I like Gal Gadot. I like The Rock. I like uh, Ryan Reynolds. He's probably one of my favorite actors. But I can't say, like, there's a lot that I loved about this movie. I was always guaranteed to like it, right? I was always guaranteed to like it. But to love it, to love it, I didn't really love it. They tried to have a theme, it seemed like, a motif of something with the fathers. Like, their fathers all motivated them to do what they do. So they tried to have that, but that wasn't integrated throughout the movie. But look, the performances are all great. They're great. They're great actors. They're great performers. It was shot in a, in a technical high budget way. So it looks good. And it was something that would have been enjoyable to see in the theaters. It just doesn't earn high marks, but I would never dissuade someone from seeing this. I would just say, if you're going to see it, just know this is basically the fast and the furious about art heists. It ends on a, a note that they're trying to get a sequel for it. So we'll see what happens with that. It's clearly Netflix is in the franchise game right now. And this is them trying to get a franchise. So I would give this movie a solid bro. It's not a bad movie. It's not a great movie. But you like action. You like comedy. You like Ryan Reynolds. You like Dwayne Johnson. You like Gal Gadot. You're going to like the movie. You're going to enjoy it. You like Indiana Jones. You're going to enjoy the movie. It's that kind of movie. But it's nothing to write home about or make a huge effort to see or think is super amazing. All right, next let's talk about some trailers. Every week I put the trailers for trailer takedown in our discord. I usually do that on Saturday. I do that. So you have an option. If you want to watch all the trailers before we talk about them, you can do that. If you want to watch all of them after we talk about them, you can do that. Or I don't know. You can watch a trailer. We talk about it, watch a trailer. We talk about it. Trailer Takedown. First trailer. The Power of the Dog is another Netflix movie. It's a Western. It stars Benedict Cumberbatch, Jesse Plemons, Kirsten Dunst, and Cody Smith-McPhee. Now, this is a great cast. And again, it looks like it's well shot. But I, William, maybe you can tell me what this movie's about. I really, I have no idea what this movie's about besides... Hey, look, all these critics gave it a good review and it did well at all these festivals and the performances are really, really great. 
So for me, when I see that, and it kind of gives me a slow vibe, it makes me not want to see the movie. It makes me not want to see it because I there's nothing hooking me here besides saying, hey, these people are good. Tackle. Tackle. Yeah, I'm... I feel you because I was thinking the same thing. I'm not sure what this is about. Is this being praised because the actors are just acting so well, or is this a character driven thing, which I could be into, right? I don't mind if it's a little slow, a little character driven. Um, but it makes me have some question marks about, you know, what is the plot? What is the action? What's the movement here? I have no idea either, but I'm going to, I'm going to give this a chance and give it a Netflix and hug. Netflix and hug. Second trailer. Moonfall is the latest movie from Roland Emmerich, who's known for such movies as Universal Soldier, Stargate, Independence Day, The Day After Tomorrow, 2012. As you can see, as of late, especially since Independence Day, he's really made his living on these sort of apocalyptic films with this giant scale of like, oh, the world's going to end. And this is similar. This is similar. The premise here is... And it sounds like from the trailer, it should be the moon falling. But I got a different sense from this. I think it's the mm. moon falling metaphorically. And I don't know, William, you can tell me what you think about it and what you thought it was about. But it seems to me during the two minutes on the moon landing, when they went radio silent, lost connection with Earth, they didn't really lose connection. They saw something. And I don't know if they dropped a probe down there or something, but it seems to me almost like giant dust clouds maybe full of nanites are coming from the moon and it's creating an extinction event on earth maybe that's a a precursor of the moon falling maybe that's a um result of the moon falling i don't know meteorites are hitting maybe it's bad editing in the trailer i don't know but the ending of this the ending of this trailer is it seems very similar to the ending of Independence Day where the three main characters go inside the moon to try and beat it just like you know Will Smith, Jeff Goldblum and that other main character went into the alien spacecraft to try and beat it. So yeah. this this seems like you know what you're going to get with this. Do do I know if I'm ever going to see it? I probably won't ever see this, but if it was an option and a bunch of people were going or there's nothing coming out this week, I would see it. But as far as me putting in energy to go out of my way to see this, like I'm going to do with like Ghostbusters Afterlife, it's not. It's not. So I don't hate this movie. I don't have as negative of an opinion as I did with the previous movie. But this one in particular, I just don't think I would put an effort to see. Tackle. Tackle? Pretty much. That's a good, good way of thinking of it. Yeah, I'm on the fence. I want to I want to like this movie. Is that good enough? Uh, I feel like I, that's how you describe Roland Emmerich's career. Like, yeah, I, I want to like the Patriot. I want to like Universal Soldier. Yeah, I don't know, man. I feel like I'll give this movie a chance and I'll watch it, and then I'll come back saying, "Eh, I could have watched an, another episode of Arcane." But that being said, I think this is another. You know, like you were saying, it's a Sunday. Uh, not a football Sunday, obviously, and I need something to put on while I'm cleaning the living room, and I'll give it a chance. So that's the definition of Netflix and Hug. Third trailer. Silent Night is a British dark comedy starring Kira Knightley that takes its name, I believe, from Rachel Carson's Silent Spring. 
it is, as the name would suggest, a Christmas movie. But the twist here seems to be that it's a Christmas night dinner slash party where the next morning everyone on Earth is going to die from an environmental disaster. I, that premise, I don't care how fucking funny it is. I don't care how good the performances are. That premise makes me not want to watch it at all. First of all, M. Night Shyamalan already did this movie as The Happening and everyone fucking made fun of him for it. But now the British do it and it's more reserved and more defined, uh, more confined, more confined to like almost, it's almost like signs meets The Happening and I'm supposed to like it more. Also, he did it in a way that kind of showed how ridiculous it all is. He did it in like the style of a B-movie from the 60s and 50s, you know, with the the whole nuclear scare, where they're doing this seriously. They're doing this seriously. Oh, well, everyone's going to die from environmentalism. I mean, you want to talk about Canadian woman becomes first person to be diagnosed as suffering from climate change. That's this, the movie. Tackle. Tackle. Yeah, I, 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 this exactly goes back to the news story. The Holy Spirit will come and smite you. This is just a, this is this is a, just like the uh, Christian, like Passion of the Christ, except for the Book of Revelation instead. Tackle. Tackle. Final trailer. 8-Bit Christmas is, I'm going to be honest, I totally forgot to watch this trailer. It looks super interesting. It stars Neil Patrick Harris, and it's about trying to get, uh, a video game console for the kid. So I like the premise and everything, which is why I put it in here. I like the cast. I just, I totally forgot to watch the trailer. So I'm going to punt <laughs> on this one and uh, pass it uh, to you, William. Okay. Uh, I will say I love Neil Patrick Harris. This looks like another fun thing uh, that he's doing. Uh, it looks funny. I did giggle. Uh, so that's a good sign for a comedy for me. So I'm all in with this one. So I'm going to give it a, a hug. Hug. And that was the sense I got from the description that it was probably the most benevolent of all the trailers yeah. this week. So I, I'm glad you said that. I just, I, I don't know why. I, for some reason, I just skipped watching it. All right. What did we learn this trip, William? I learned to blame capitalism. Justin, what did you learn this week? I learned to watch all the goddamn trailers, William. <laughs> All right, I want to thank everyone for listening. If you didn't listen, it would just be me talking into a corner of the closet like a crazy person. I mean, it still is me doing that, but it makes me feel a little bit better that there are people here, especially when they listen live. I want to give a shout-out to the couple of Midsiders who are listening right now. If you want to support the show, you can do so by going to the midside.com slash store, picking up any of the merch there, or go to the midside.com slash the cut, pick up my book, you can go to the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash locals and support us that way. Um, I will be appearing on a video with Kirk Wilcox this week. He invited me on to do a like reaction video. He saw something on YouTube about South Park that he wanted me to help him react to. So look for that soon. And the best way to help, as always, William, is to tell a friend. Go out there and tell everybody on your kickball team about your podcast. Tell everybody at the Silver Fox about your podcast and then ask them uh, why there are no old people at the Silver Fox and see <laughs> if they understand. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emblazeski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Have a wonderful Silver Fox day. Hey, hey!
it's so interesting to me, William, these demographic that get these like different bars. Like what what would I do what would happen if I started a bar called the Angry Pollock? Would anyone show up? I think so. Also, uh how is how am I gonna get this to Kirk? Way to step on it, Justin. Because I know he's gonna need it. <laughs>